Welcome to the show. On today's program, we'll be discussing Australia's continuing dismal tour of India, the upcoming JLT Cup domestic one-day tournament, would Ben Stokes beat Conor McGregor in a boxing match, and what does all this mean for England's Asher squad announcement? Thanks for listening this far. Let's see if we can retain your interest a little bit longer. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to a podcast that, for the moment, we'll be entitling Slashing Through the Cordon, at least until a better name comes along. This is a show for cricket tragics about cricket and tragics in a combination that will hopefully be informative and entertaining. And as long as you agree with everything we put out there, there shouldn't be too much controversy at all. I'm hoping that in the future, we will have a co-pilot to keep the conversation moving. But for this first episode, all you're going to get is my nasally monotone to deal with. For those of you with a social bent, try that again, a social bent, you can find our group page on Facebook under Mr Cricket Tragic, and we're also on Twitter under the same handle. If you have any questions or suggestions, or just general abuse, then feel free to contact us there. So, without further ado, let's open the bowling from the pavilion end. You have to wonder what Australia's cricketers in India are really thinking about at the moment. Most of them were there just a few months ago playing in a test series, and a really good test series it was too. Australia had prepared properly for it before they left, and although India eventually won that series 2-1, Australia performed better than just about everyone thought they would. And now here they are, back in India, having come home for a few days before flying out to England to participate in what was laughingly called a mini World Cup, that was actually entitled the Champions Trophy. Then they all flew home to have a month off while the debate about the new Memorandum of Understanding carried on. Not only did that cost Australia A a tour of South Africa, it also meant no one knew when cricket was going to be played again. Once that kerfuffle was solved, to no one's benefit, the Test players had to hightail it off to Bangladesh to play two Tests with almost no preparation, one of which Australia lost, their first against Bangladesh. Having saved some face by winning the second test, it was straight off to India for five ODIs and three T20 matches with zero preparation for anyone not involved in that Bangladesh series. So now, here we are. Australia are down three zip in a five-match series against a team playing at home, comfortable in their surroundings, and not even playing their best team. Jadeja, Ashwin, Shikha Darwin, barely getting a game. And what's even better is that there are pretty much no excuses for the Australians at all. In the first match, India was 3 for 11, and then 5 for 87, and yet they escaped with very little pressure to score 281. When the rain came, it turned it into a virtual T20 chase, Australia needing 164 off 21 overs, which they didn't get close to. No real surprise there, because if Australia beats India in a T20 match any time in the next 60 years, it will be an upset. So we come to the second game, and India looks set to make a 1,000. But the bowlers did well to restrict India to 252, which should have been a gettable target. But no, the openers were both gone before the team had reached double figures, and not one got going after starting, and Australia fell 50 short, with six overs still to be bowled. R- bloody ridiculous. Well, that's all be the supporters at home, because we'll just complain that India keep getting to bat first. 
Hooray! Guess what? In the third game, Australia get the bat first. And we look set. One for 220 with 13 overs to go. There is no way we should finish with anything less than 330, and we should be on our way to about 350. Now that will make a game of it. Nope. Instead, let's just lose 5 for 73 in those 13 overs and not even make 300. Great. Oh well, at least we've set a target. They have to get those runs. That'll be difficult. Nope. Instead, let's cruise to 5 for 294 with more than two overs to go and crush the absolute crap out of our opponent's spirit while we're at it. So what's the answer? Australia has not won an ODI overseas in 2017. Not in New Zealand, not in England, not in India. Is this such a huge thing? In New Zealand, we basically played a second 11 because all of the top dogs were either injured or being rested or had been sent to India early to prepare for the Test Series. Despite this, Marcus Stoinis almost won us a game by his own bat. With the team that was sent, defeat was expected. In England for the Champions Trophy, although they didn't play well, there's no doubt that weather cost Australia the chance to progress to the semi-finals. It also saved their ass in the match against the Kiwis, so 50-50 there. And now we're in India, and the home team is firing on all cylinders, having barely stopped playing in the last 12 months. Can we talk about the selection policy and the NSP's obsession with so-called all-rounders and the disintegration of the specialist batsmen in Australia's batting lineups? In the first two ODIs, Australia played Hilton Cartwright, Glenn Maxwell and Marcus Stornis in its top six. Now, with perhaps the exception of Maxwell, who has been chosen as a batsman for some time, would any of those three be chosen in this team as a batsman only? Can any of them hold their spot as a batsman? Surely the answer is no. And yet they fill 50% of our top order batting. If you want to find out what's wrong, how about we start there? Now Finch came in for Cartwright in Game 3, and while I don't hold a brief for Finch, he at least took his chance and made 124. Of course, if he remains true to form, he will now make 8 single-figure scores in a row, uh, being dismissed either bowl through the gate or caught at mid-off hitting on the up. Stoinis has proven to be fairly handy at number 6 with the bat and has done a job with the ball, which means he at least is a true all-rounder in the team. Cartwright, Maxwell and Travis Head, who in Australia bowl a lot of overs, have not been asked to contribute with the ball in any form in the first three games. If this is now considered Australia's best top six in ODI cricket, then surely, if we keep losing games, a change has to be made. If you look at the bowling, then given that only one of the bowls on show at the moment would be considered to be in Australia's best ODI bowling lineup, they're doing okay. If you combine the first 25 overs of game one with the second 25 overs of game two, it was the perfect performance. Unfortunately, it was the periods where the bowlers were either ineffective or unable to penetrate that has caused problems. The return of Nathan Coulter-Nile has been beneficial for a number of reasons, while Pat Cummins continues his morphing from breakdown boy into Superman with the amount of overs he's had to put on, put in on unresponsive wickets. Kane Richardson has also made a good return to the national team. The jury is still out on James Faulkner, should be dropped, and whether he can get back to his best. And there is little joy for the spinning fraternity of Zampa and Agar. Stark and Hazelwood would have made a difference, but it is the search for a consistent spin option that eludes the team at the moment. There are only two ODIs remaining before the three T20 matches bring the tour to a close. 
One question that remains unanswered is this. For a fairly forgettable series, certainly by Australian standards given that the games are on at times which prevents most fans from watching anything like a whole game, is this the best way for our cricketers to be preparing for an Ashes summer? If we're looking for new one-day players, well, we might have found a couple today as the JLT Cup started in Australia with an absolutely cracking game. South Australia played the Cricket Australia 11, and South Australia started off really, really poorly, being 5 for 51, before getting away to score 9 for 254 off their 50 overs. You can thank uh, Cameron Valente for that, who had a great season last year and scored a cracking 100 today, of 138 balls. Still, that should have been more than enough you would have thought on current form with the Cricket Australia 11. However, once again, Cricket Tragic here has been proven incorrect. Easily losing their first wicket at three. There was then a 231 run partnership for the Cricket Australia 11. Jake Carter, never heard of him in my life. 102 runs of 129 balls was sensational. Bo Webster from Tasmania, 121 from 133. Both lost their wickets towards the end. It didn't matter. They won comfortably by seven wickets and uh, still two overs to go. Quite an amazing game. Uh, the tournament itself is uh, again being played between Brisbane, Perth and New South Wales with the finals to be played in Tasmania in three and a half weeks' time. If Australia are looking towards players for the one-day game in looking towards the next World Cup, which is about 18 months away, this month of cricket could bring some new kids to light. Two pieces of news coming out from England tonight will be of, uh, of note. Firstly... England will announce their squad to tour Australia for the Ashes later this summer. Uh, most of the positions are considered to be sorted. Well, who knows? <laughs> Honestly, if you look at England this summer in England, uh, they've had three batsmen score runs and they've had four bowls take wickets, but their middle order still looks very, very dicey. It'll be interesting to see who they actually select to come downstairs and... Uh, how they're going to progress from that point. The other piece of news, of course, is uh, the uh, Ben Stokes fight uh, against uh, Conor McGregor. No, he's not fighting Conor McGregor. Stokes was arrested last night after a bit of a punch-up in the pub. And uh, unusually, he was with another fellow player, Alex Hales. Ben Stokes was held overnight in jail. Alex Hales was sent back to the English cricket team, and the English cricket team then sent him back to Bristol. So do they not want either of them? Who can tell what's going to happen? Both have been suspended for the next ODI against the West Indies, which starts tomorrow. Uh, but where does it go from here? Is Stokes going to possibly lose the vice-captaincy of England, as has been suggested in the media? Or will he even miss part of the tour? It's interesting to note that, of course, four years ago, David Warner was uh, suspended for a certain amount of time and sent away from the tour of England. Uh, for getting in a fight with uh, Joe Root in uh, a pub in England. Uh, 
And of course, one of our more famous Australian captains of recent times used to like the odd punch up in the bourbon and beef steak in King's Cross. Does anyone think Stokes is just trying to emulate Warner and Ponting and become a great player by getting into a punch up? The Sydney grade competition began last weekend and in the premier grade fixture between Campbelltown Camden and Sutherland, Sutherland's Shane Watson was dismissed for a golden duck. He's really the gift that keeps on giving, isn't he? It could only have been better if he'd been bold leaving or that old chestnut getting standard LBW. Anyway, great start Shane. Looking forward to big things from him again this season. That's about all for this first attempt at a, a podcast that might have some humour. All I can tell you is that I love to talk about cricket and at the moment, rather than just writing it down, which is what I generally do as well, I'm going to start talking about it as well. So I hope there was enough interest for some of you to come back again next time and see what we can talk about. Thanks for listening. Toodaloo.